turn my mic on. I forgot to turn it off. And I was over there like singing a song with my mic on. So everybody at home was hearing me sing and I've got a terrible singing voice. And then I leaned over to Emery and I was like, hey, I like your hair this morning. Yeah, you smell good too. And then John was like, hey, your mic's on. So hey, everybody at home that heard me singing, sorry about that. Uh, I wasn't singing loud, just so you know. I was I was uh, singing quietly, but still wasn't good, I'm sure. We're starting a new sermon series today. I'm glad that everybody's here, and I'm glad that we get to start a new series on a day that like we've opened the doors up for people to come together and corporately worship together again. And this sermon series is called Quantum Leap. Did anybody ever watch that TV show, Quantum Leap? I loved that show. I think I was like in elementary school, maybe late elementary school when it was on. And I loved it. It was like the idea was, uh, you know, something about like physics or whatever. And this physicist figured out a way, like he got stuck in some sort of cycle where he was like being like teleported essentially through time. And so like he would go back in time and experience the civil rights movement, you know, and, and he would go like in like back to whatever time. And it was just crazy. Like, it was maybe, uh, it was like, uh, what's the treehouse book? What are the treehouse books, Emory, for kids? Magic Treehouse. It was like Magic Treehouse, except the TV show and adults. And um, so it set off like my imagination as a kid to start thinking about what time travel would be like that and Back to the Future movies, by the way. But so like I've thought before, like if I could get in a time machine or if I like was able to quantum leap somehow, what would I do? Well, I know one thing, I would never go to the future. Like, I don't want to see what I'm like as an old man. I don't want to see how I die. I don't want to see, like, if I'm the only one alive when I die out of my family. Like, it's just, it's just like, it's too scary. Like, I don't want to know that. I'm just going to live that and experience it and try to enjoy every moment of every day of my life. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be going into the future, but I would love to go back in time. Like, I think it would be awesome to go back in time, like, jump in a time machine and go back in time and see, like, who Pete Tyranny was in high school. You know, like, what was Pete? No, Linda's like, no, you wouldn't want to do that. Like, I just wonder who people were and what they were like and how their lives were different than they are now and how they've grown and matured as human beings. And I would want to go, like, I'm just like a geek about New Mexico history, so I would want to jump back in time and go, like, see some of the the Lincoln County War stuff. And I want to know, like, did that dude in Texas brushy Bill, was he really Billy the Kid? Because I don't think so. Like, I got to know those things, you know, and if I had a time machine, I would find out. And a few weeks ago, or maybe a few days ago, time blurs together right now. I posted on Facebook, if you had a time machine, and you could go back in time to witness anything in the Bible, not to interfere, not to like any of that, what would you want to go see? And it was your way of helping me figure out what to preach about. And so it was stuff like, I want to see the Red Sea part. I want to see the birth of Jesus. I want to see the resurrection on Easter morning. I want to see Peter walking on water with Jesus. I want to see the fishes and the loaves being multiplied. How did that ever happen? Like all of those questions that we all are interested in. And it engages our, what the African-American church calls our sanctified imagination to try to add flesh to the bones of these stories. But I thought, you know, I would want to jump in the time machine and go way back, like way back to the days of Moses when they're about to cross into the land of Canaan and 
and take over this land that they say was flowing with milk and honey. And like, I want to see what those people were like and what that faith was like. And Moses, the Bible says, spoke to God face to face as one person speaks to another person. I want to see that stuff happen. And as I was reading through that, I came across this story that I'd never encountered before. And I don't know why I had never encountered it. It's a story about five sisters. They're the sisters of Zelophehad. Can you say that out loud with me? Zelophehad. (laughs) And Zelophehad literally means, his name means, protection against fear. So Zelophehad had five daughters. And they're mentioned in the Bible in three different books. They're in Numbers, which happens to be my favorite book of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. They're mentioned in Numbers. They're mentioned in Joshua and they're mentioned in 1 Chronicles. The only people in the Old Testament who are mentioned in more books than these five daughters are the prophet, prophetess Miriam and Moses himself. They are incredibly important. And it's a shame that I've never preached about them before. It's a shame that I didn't know who they were before. So I'm going to read to you, starting in Numbers chapter 26. And I'm just going to read to you the places and numbers that they're mentioned, and then we're going to go to Joshua. So uh, not all of what I'm going to read is going to be on the screen. So if you want to grab your phone and pull up your Bible app or get your Bible or whatever, we're going to be in Numbers chapter 26, and I'm going to read verses 33 through 34. But Zelophehad, Hefer's son, had no sons only daughters. He was a lucky guy, by the way. The names of Zelophehad's daughters were Mala, Noah, Holga, Milcah, and Terzah. These are the Manashite clans, and their enrollment was 52,700. So what was happening when we get that little bit about the daughters of Zelophehad is that a census was being taken, since, hence the name of the book Numbers. They were counting, they needed to know how many people were in each tribe and each clan so they would know how many men they had to go to war once they crossed over the River Jordan into the land of Canaan because they knew they were going to encounter resistance and conflict when they went over. And they needed to know how many men they had. And so they go through like, this person was born here and they had this many sons and this is their number and this is how many were in their clan. And they get to this guy, Zelophehad, and they say, he's Hefer's son and he had no sons, only daughters. And the names of the daughters, and they named them, Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Tirzah. Here's an amazing thing. In Africa, at the name of these women, at the, when these women's names are read in church, the whole congregation, however many people are there, have a response that they say in Swahili or in other languages. And I'm not going to ask you to do that every time I say their name, but it's important to know that in other places in the world, these women are held in incredibly high regard, as I'm going to make the case today, we should hold them as well. So in the, in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, there are 1,426 personal names used. 1,315 of those names are men, which means there are 111 female names mentioned in the Old Testament. 
less than 9% of the names in the Old Testament are female names. And these women are mentioned more than any other woman. And they are in more books than any other woman other than the prophetess Miriam. They are incredibly important. So if you want to turn over now to to Numbers chapter 27, their story starts to become more of a narrative where we can kind of follow along. And ancient rabbis did a lot of midrash, a lot of historical study and a lot of understanding of culture. And they would add flesh to the bones of the story of these women. And then even modern rabbis who do midrash have done the same kind of work and added more. And I'm going to add in some of that midrash, some of the flesh to this story as I tell it to you this morning, but we're going to read from Numbers 27 now. This starts with verse 1. The daughters of Zelophehad, Hefer's son, Gilead's grandson, Machir's great-grandson, and Manasseh's great-great-grandson, belonging to the clan of Manasseh and and son of Joseph, came forward. They came forward. The Hebrew word that is used here is they approached with aggression. They didn't kind of ease up. They weren't like being demure and like gentle. They approached with aggression. Like a volleyball player approaching the net to try to crush a ball. They weren't playing around. They stood before Moses, Eleazar the priest, and the chiefs, and the entire community at the at the entrance of the meeting tent. So this meeting tent is where Moses and Eleazar the priest and other people would meet with the presence of God. And Moses was actually able to talk to God. God's presence, the way they understood it anyway, resided inside that tent. And these women were bold enough to approach these men in front of the entire community. And they said, our father died in the desert. He wasn't part of the community who gathered against the Lord with Korah's community. So there was this group of people who gathered and complained and spoke out against God, and they died out in the desert. And so the daughters of Eleazar, Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Tirzah, they wanted it known that their dad was not part of that group of people. He died otherwise. And then they say, why should our father's name be taken away from us, from his clan because he didn't have a son? Give us property among our father's brothers. Notice they're not asking. They're demanding. Give us property among our father's brothers. Give us property amongst our uncles. Just because we're women doesn't mean we don't get to have that land also. Moses brought their case before the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Zelophehad's daughters are right. And it's not just right. Like when you translate from the Hebrew to the English, it's they are righteous. They are empowered. They understand what the Spirit of God wants in this moment, Moses. They are right in what they are saying. By all means, give them property as an inheritance among their father's brothers. Hand over their father's inheritance to them. 
Speak to the Israelites and say, if a man dies and doesn't have a son, you must hand over his inheritance to his daughters. So here's the thing. We're going to go on. I'm gonna, there's more to this story. There's an idea amongst ancient rabbis and modern rabbis that these women, because their names are mentioned a couple of times already in Scripture, and the way that would typically work is if, is if, like in my family, if my brother and I were mentioned, his name would always come before mine because Ryan is older than I am. And therefore, he would be the heir to whatever my father had. And so they would say, the sons of Roger, Ryan, and Ross approached so-and-so. Every single time we would be mentioned, his name would come first because he's more important because he's the older one, according to this. Now, listen, my mom and dad moved to Las Cruces when I moved here. He had lived here like 20 years. We all know who the favorite is. But the reality is, in ancient times, that's not how it worked. The oldest son was the most important. The youngest son was the least important. And the daughters were afterthoughts. If a man died without any sons, his name was forgotten. And these women... Their names are mentioned in all mixed up orders, which says that the way that they viewed themselves were as equals. It wasn't that the oldest was more important than the youngest or vice versa. They were mixed up all throughout. And there's a theory that they approached either in a wedge or shoulder to shoulder to Moses. And each one of them said one sentence to Moses. Why should our father's name be taken away from his clan? because he didn't have a son. Give us property amongst our father's brothers. They would say that going down the line. Moses goes and he meets with God. God says, by all means, give them land amongst their uncles. When we recognize that there is an injustice happening, we have to speak. When you recognize there's an injustice happening against you, you have to speak. Because the people in power may not hear it. There may not be anyone else who's bold enough to come forward and speak. You have to do it. And if you are a person who is in power, you have to be brave enough and know that your greatest fear will never come to pass in faith. You have to know that you can hear what people are saying. When they're saying, I am experiencing an injustice. I am being oppressed. We have to listen. And if you are a person who is experiencing some sort of injustice, speak up because it's not just for you or yourself that you're speaking or that you're listening. It's for generations of people. These women didn't just do this for themselves. We have to advocate and speak with and for other people. Because it's not just us. We're in this thing all together. I want to go on and read to you what happens. So you flip your Bible several pages, and you end up in the last book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 36. Time has passed. These women approach Moses. They they speak for justice. They receive justice from God because God is a God of justice and righteousness. They stand up, they speak. God says, by all means, give them what they're asking for. 
They are right in my eyes. They understand my heart. And time passes. And the men, the elders of their tribes, come to Moses. The leaders of the households, this is chapter 36, 1. The leaders of the households of the clans of Gilead, Mashir's sons and Manasseh's grandsons of Joseph's clans, approached and spoke before Moses and the chiefs, who were the leaders of the Israelite households. And they said, The Lord commanded my master to give the land as an inheritance by lot to the Israelites. But my master was also commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of Zelophehad, our brother, to his daughters. If they're married to someone from another Israelite tribe, their inheritance will be taken away from our household and given to another tribe into which they marry. Then it will be taken away from the lot of our inheritance. And then at the Israelite Jubilee, at the Jubilee, every seven years, all debts were canceled and everything was given back to who it belonged. Their inheritance will be added to the inheritance of the tribe into which they married. Then their inheritance will be taken away from the inheritance of our ancestral tribe. And so Moses doesn't give them the land outright. He says, you can have the land, but you have to marry. Well, he goes on and says, you can marry anyone you want as long as it's within this group of people, which is not marrying anyone you want, right? And the reason for that, the logic went like this. These men come forward, men, they come forward, and they say, look, if our nieces marry outside of the tribe, when they die, that land will stay with that tribe and we will lose it. We will lose our wealth and our power because you're trying to make things right with them. And that's not right with us. Sound familiar? People always are struggling over who has the power and who has the wealth. And Moses fails to be obedient to God. He caves. And he says, okay, here's the compromise. They can have the land, but they have to marry one of their cousins. Gross. They don't have an option. Their choice is taken from them. Sometimes, when we are the, pers- the people with power and authority, and our culture is dominant, We have to be bold and brave and listen and be willing to give up of ourselves for the common good. And it's hard and it's scary. But we want to be the people like Eleazar's daughters who were protected from fear by their faith. So then turn to Joshua chapter 17. Joshua is who took over leadership of the people once Moses died. He was young. He was charismatic. He was brave. And he takes over when Moses dies. And he became a close friend of God's. We're going to start with chapter 3. Of verse 17. Zelophehad was Hefer's son, Gilead's grandson, 
Mashir's great-grandson, and Manasseh's great-great-grandson. Zelophehad had no sons, only daughters. So the author of this is reminding us of who these women were. Their names were Mala, Noah, Holgah, Milcah, and Tirzah. The daughters approached Eleazar the priest. So this guy's been here for all of it. Joshua and the leaders. And they said, the Lord commanded Moses to give us a legacy along with our male relatives. So in agreement with the Lord's command, they were given a legacy along with their uncles. They did not give up. Nevertheless, they persisted. They wouldn't stop. They wouldn't be quiet. Because they knew it wasn't just about them. It was about their children and their grandchildren and other women in their community. And it was about our children. And it was about us. And it was about our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. That's why these women, I would love to go back in time and watch this happen. It would be the most amazing thing to be standing on a hillside with this technology that they would have never known of called binoculars and watch what is happening when they approach the tent of meeting and Moses goes in and comes out like, well, I guess you can have the land then. And then to watch the rubble, the, the stuff happening amongst the men who are like, what are you talking about? You're going to give women land? Like, next thing you know, they're going to want to vote or something. You get to watch, see all that stuff happen. And then to see them continue on in their push for what is right. Like God said, it is righteous. In the face of adversity, they just kept pushing. Until finally, Joshua, the son of Nun, is like, look. So the theory is that Moses died for his disobedience. There's this story, the Israelites are complaining, we don't have anything to drink. We're wandering out here in the wilderness. Moses goes to God, God, everybody's complaining. I'm sick and tired of hearing all the complaining. Could you just do something about it? And God says to Moses, Moses, say to the rock, give us water and I will show my power by having the rock open up and water will come out of it. Moses goes over, takes a stick, strikes the rock, cracks it open, and water comes out. He was disobedient. He didn't, say what he, he didn't do what he was supposed to do. There are women theologians who would say, yeah, that's one reason that he died was that disobedience, but this is the other reason. And that the sisters go to Joshua, and it's understood by Joshua, you better obey. Look what happened to Moses. And Joshua's like, cool, you got the land. I want to keep living. They were powerful. They were bold. They were strong. They were the kind of people that I want to be. They were the kind of people I want to be surrounded by. They were the kind of people that I want to raise. They were the kind of people that I want my daughters to invite over to our house. They were, they were amazing. 
Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milcah, and Tirzah should be heroes of ours by the power of the Holy Spirit and in Jesus' name. Amen.